Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and it is a pleasure to have the opportunity to speak to you today. On Paul's second evangelistic journey, he came to the proud city of Thessalonica, the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. Possessing a great harbor and being the principal station on the famous Ignatian Way, Thessalonica was populous and wealthy. Into this city came Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they enjoyed some success there. Some of the Jews believed and responded in obedience to the gospel, as well as many of the Gentiles and what are referred to as the leading women of the city in the King James Version. We do not know for certain how long Paul stayed in this city, but we do know that the brethren in Philippi sent to take care of Paul's needs more than once while it was in Thessalonica. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 16 we read, For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. We know also that Paul worked in some secular employment while there to help supply his needs. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 he wrote, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul's stay in Thessalonica ended when some unbelieving Jews, moved by jealousy, instigated an uprising in the city and came to the house of a man named Jason with whom Paul and his companions had evidently stayed. When they didn't find Paul and his co-workers in the house, they drugged Jason and some other brethren before the city authorities, charging Paul and the others with turning the world upside down, according to the King James Version. These men were released, but it, but it was necessary for their safety that the brethren in Thessalonica send Paul and Silas away under the cover of night. From there they went to Berea. Paul may have left the Thessalonian brethren at this time, but his association with them and his love for them did not end with his departure. Not too many years later, while in Corinth, Paul would write two letters to the Thessalonians that we find in the New Testament. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6 where we read, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. Having received such good news about his beloved brethren in the great city of Thessalonica, Paul wrote First and Second Thessalonians. Well, I've given all this background so that we might turn our attention to First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1-4. through 4. Paul began his letter with these words, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, 
constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. I want us to focus on verse 3, as Paul remembered the Christians at Thessalonica because of their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. In those three phrases, we find much of the Christian's responsibility before God. We'll begin with the work of faith. Students of the Bible need to have help to miss the fact that according to God's word, the faith that saves is an obedient faith. In the letter to Romans, which is the greatest treatise on the glorious theme of salvation by grace through faith ever written, I want us to notice what bookends that book. In other words, how it begins and how it ends. In Romans chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul wrote the following. Concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Did you note the phrase, the obedience of faith? Now come to Romans 16, the final chapter of the book. Let's read the last three verses of the book, verses 25 through 27. We find Paul concluding his magnificent letter with these words. Now to him who is able to establish you according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. Again, did you note the phrase, leading to obedience of faith? In God's word, faith and obedience are inseparable if we're talking about a faith that saves. Now, Paul commended the Thessalonians for their work of faith. Maybe it would be helpful for us to know what the word work means there. According to Vine's Expository Dictionary, the word means a deed or an act. So what we're talking about are deeds or acts of faith. As we go over to James chapter 2 and look at verses 21 through 24, where James wrote the following, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works, and not by faith alone. Abraham was justified by his deeds or acts of faith. So are believers today. The truth is that a faith that is not active will save neither sinner nor saint. To prove a person's faith in him, God requires obedience. The famous chapter of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, we need to look at some of the language used to describe saving faith in that chapter. In verse 4, we find, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. In verse 7, we read, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, 
in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. In verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out. In verse 17, we are told, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Consider verse 29, when we are told of the Israelites, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. In verse 30, what do we see? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Honestly, once again, a person needs help to miss the point that a faith that saves is much more than a simple mental assent concerning the facts of the life of Jesus. Let's consider one more passage along this line of thought. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10, through 10, Paul wrote the following, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We cannot invent good works to save ourselves. We can't even determine which works will bring about our salvation. We are saved by doing God's works, not because they place God in a position of owing us our salvation, but because they are expressions of the obedience of faith. And let me say this, all good works must be defined by God. It is God who judges them good. Our job is to do that which God's divine word has revealed as that which he wants us to do. That is exactly what the Thessalonians were doing. They were living their lives in obedience to God's revealed will. That was their work of faith. Let's look now at Paul's commendation of the Thessalonians for their labor of love. I like that term labor and what it means. It denotes toil resulting in weariness, laborious toil. In other words, the Thessalonians had a love that they really worked at, a love that they really toiled at. Their love was not just in words, but was manifested in deeds. I want to go back to Vine's Expository Dictionary and look at some of what he had to say about this love. Vines does not just give simple definitions. Sometimes he expands and gives us more information. Concerning this love, he wrote, Christian love, whether exercised toward the brethren or toward men generally, is not an impulse from the feelings. It does not always run with the natural inclination, nor does it spend itself only upon those from whom some affinity is discovered. Love seeks the welfare of all. Romans 15.2 tells us, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Love works no ill toward anyone and seeks the opportunity to do good to all men, especially toward those who are of the household of faith. That's Galatians 6 and verse 10. It is so important for us to notice that Paul did not remember the love of the Thessalonian brethren only, but he remembered their labor of love. Their love prompted them to action, and that is the point. Love acts. John made the same point about love in 1 John 3:16 through 18 that the Thessalonians were exemplifying in their lives. Look at that passage with me. John wrote, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Action, then, is really the proof of love. Finally, let's look at the last of these three phases of commendation. Paul commended the Thessalonian brethren for their steadfastness of hope. Steadfastness or patience is such a needed attribute in our service to God. It literally means an abiding under. It is a study complete unto itself to notice how frequently the psalmist encourages all to wait on the Lord and also how frequently he discusses the blessings to be found for those who do. However, do not misunderstand. Patience or steadfastness is not the idea of just sitting around without complaining, like you would be a patient at a doctor's office or something like that. It involves the willingness to endure and yet to remain steadfast. Remember back in the earliest days of the church in Thessalonica. Jason and others of the brethren were hauled before the city authorities forced to pay for their release. They were the object of persecution, and the Jewish non-believers who were promoting their persecution were a determined lot, even following Paul to Berea, but the brethren kept on going. Steadfastness is something we must learn. It does not come automatically, naturally, or easily. We can often find ourselves anxious about many things, some of which we can't do anything about. It is for us to learn to be steadfast, to be patient. Sometimes it is rough to be a faithful child of God. Sometimes it seems like it's two steps forward, three steps backward. Sometimes you just have to keep on going, which is what the brethren in Thessalonica did. And why? Because of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. That's why. The hope that the Thessalonian brethren had, and that all faithful Christians should have now, is the hope of eternal life in heaven. I think most of us know the passages that speak to this hope. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 4 wrote the following, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. There is a time coming when the faithful in Christ will hear the words, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The wonderful thing about our hope, the reason why it is so closely associated with patience and steadfastness, is that it is that which ties us to eternity. It is that which, at the most difficult times and the darkest hours, tells us to hold on. Keep on going, because this life is not what it is all about. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, we read the following. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The brethren in Thessalonica just kept on going, patient, steadfast in hope. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. That pretty well sums it up. As the Thessalonian brethren did, let us cultivate in our lives the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. My friends, if you are not a Christian, I encourage you now to obey what the Bible says is necessary in order to become a child of God. Hear the word, believe the word, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus as the Lord, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins, and rise as a new creature, walking the road that is populated only by Christians. That's the road that leads to heaven. Thanks for listening.